0: your addiction baby, love can make the bitch go crazy, kiss, fuck, fuck, and then get faded, fall out, and it's all out war, head twirling your vision, blurring dope man in that kitchen, stirrin' soul, liftin', soul, lift your burdens, fuck cuz you so forgetful for, girl you
1: know that you need that war, girl you know that you need Vizine, bring lace with that coat. guy, hello and welcome back to Beats, Rye, and Types, uh, this is your host MRB and I'm here with my pal AQ. And uh, you've just been listening to a track by a young rap artist named Vince Staples who just put out a really dope new album called Summertime 06. And that song was called Jump Off the Roof, which I don't recommend that you do. But um, <laughs> he kind of is uh, exhorting you to jump off of roofs. I don't necessarily think you should. But, I mean, whatever. That's, let's take it on a case-by-case basis parental advisory so i'm recording for the first time from my new crib we had to take some time to get the internet sorted i was just up in kingston with aaron uh taking taking pictures of ourselves and pizza and uh (laughs) that was really fun we're back and uh we're gonna record an episode to today about chinese food uh which was a um listener recommended subject shout out the re- shout out the listener what's the dude's name that recommended it i don't remember his name
0: tobias tobias's name
1: chinese food played an interesting role in an interesting role in my personal culinary history because chinese food uh on long island in new york city were the first kind of some of the first restaurants that i ever was taken out to as a kid like of any of any variety um so it was kind of like a special occasion we would go out to a uh, Chinese restaurant in Queens uh, with my grandma and that was like a thing other than that. We didn't really go out very much uh, for the first like 10 or so years of my life. But we did do go, out, go to Chinese food restaurants and I thought that the food was awesome.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what was your childhood dish?
1: I loved, you know, I've always loved egg rolls, and uh, I've loved uh, spare ribs, and, you know, all the various fried chicken dishes, and we would get, like, the poo-poo platter style stuff, old school New York Chinese food. Chinese food has been a sort of... Uh, prism for me through which I've learned like a lot about food from other places uh, and I was one of the first cuisines that I realized like what I grew up calling Chinese food is like a funny thing to call Chinese food. It's just like that's why I tried to say like New York style Chinese food or whatever because that's really what it is. It was mostly Pretty Americanized food. It's cool because uh, then you learn through pursuing like the history and China is such a gigantic place, you know, uh, that there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of really interesting local uh, regional cuisine in, in China, too. So that was that that's been cool for me so turns out as a listener uh, may or may not have known maybe we've talked about it before but i love to eat food from everywhere in the world and there's a lot of awesome awesome food from from china for sure how, how about you what do you what did you want to talk about in relation to this
0: similar background like i have very we we had a you know one of our first episodes was talking about early food memories and definitely like like the same grandfather who ran a deli in uh, Long Island and in Brooklyn was the same grandfather who was obsessed with Chinese food and uh would bring us hilariously enough, even though we lived in Brooklyn and were surrounded by Chinese restaurants, like he would bring Chinese food all the way from his favorite spot in Long Beach um to us in in Brooklyn, including the the spare ribs wrapped in the tinfoil, you know, in the tinfoil bag, and that was like definitely one of my the highlights of my childhood was like unwrapping those those tin full spare ribs and hilariously enough i don't think i realized they were pork until like i was maybe like 10 or 11 like and that they weren't kosher and that my mom was like kind of not very happy about my grandfather bringing them into the house i just thought they were you know, delicious and, you know, something I look forward to.
1: Yeah, that's a cultural insight that we can give for other people that don't know, like, about that's like a thing in New York Jewish culture because you would go out and eat Chinese food, there's a lot of pork there, and that's not like something that a lot of people cooked in their homes. If they kept kosher at home, a lot of people would go out to eat Chinese food, or if you're you're just you know blatantly flouting the rules, uh, <laughs> you just bring the spurs. Which we of course, which we I didn't keep kosher, but my grand my grandma's house was so that that was that played a role in that.
0: Yeah, it was definitely like I think for a lot of uh, like you know people on the border of secular Judaism, uh, especially in New York, my parents have very arbitrary rules about where and what and how to keep kosher and it's definitely not some could probably argue that the rules from the biblical rules are sort of arbitrary too but the the parent the rules that my parents construed out of whatever they believed were were extremely arbitrary to the point where like you know as long as we put a plastic tablecloth on our table we had pork on it. Our <laughs> house is still kosher. <laughs> kosher house sometimes, as long as it was my grandfather bringing the pork in and not and not my parents ordering it explicitly. I guess it was okay, uh, but kind of all a little malarkey if you ask me. But anyway, the spare ribs and the beef and broccoli. Uh, I I wrote a I posted a recipe for like my personal interpretation of trying to reclaim the flavors of the beef and broccoli of my childhood uh, on the food blocking medium thing that I've been doing for a little while now. Uh but yeah, it's definitely like there's some interesting stuff there because it's all, you know, it's another it's another topic where, you know, there's this concept of um culture and how we how we perceive culture as individuals, and this in this case culture as food and how that has roots in history and all of that too. Um, I recently watched this really great, well-produced documentary that I've been waiting to see. Um, that just got that just got put to put on Netflix called uh, "In Search of General Tso." About mainly about General Tso's chicken, but also really about like the cultural history of American Chinese food. And something it's interesting to think about. Which there's a lot of interesting points that they bring up about about why and how American Chinese food developed over the past but the interesting thing for me that i that made me realize something that i hadn't thought about was that american chinese food as we know it has evolved over the past century basically but it is almost a century old in if in its some form that is not that different from what we eat and call chinese food in america today so it's interesting to think about that a hundred year history of food is actually a pretty long history. That's probably longer than a lot of food histories that we have in America at this point. Like, I don't think like hot dogs have maybe even as long a history. I mean, obviously the origins of like sausage and stuff like that, but hot dogs as we know them are probably just as old as American Chinese food. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing when you think about it that way.
1: That's definitely a good perspective to have on it. Um, as, uh, I encourage people, people to like you know start their own tradition start their own food traditions like for that reason um and it's a cool thing to you reach a sort of inflection point where you start to think to yourself oh actually like i'm the one that is carrying on this tradition like i get to decide how to put my twist on it and that's how it got to this point like you don't have these recipes that are great um that you remember um you you just remember what You were fed when you were a kid, right? It's not like you're not like tasting the purity of like an unchanged recipe. You're actually tasting like the amalgam of everyone's tastes that came before you. One example of that is like there's two different there's two different noodle noodle pudding wrestle, noodle kugel noodle pudding recipes in my on my mom's side of the family there's a savory one and a sweet one, uh, and like one of them is made like it still has raisins in it but it has like chicken fat and salt and pepper and stuff like that and it's the same thing with like cheese and it's savory and then there's a sweet one. And I just remember, like, the first time that I realized that when I was a kid, I was like, oh, so it's kind of like, you know, because you don't really know, like, where these recipes come from, right? It's yeah. like a funny, it's a funny thing that unfolds. I'm like, oh, it's basically just like what people like. They make it that way or like what their son or daughter or, you know, sister or husband likes or whatever it is. Um so I like the two Noodle, noodle Kugel's uh, example as like a, you know, create your own traditions kind of um, <laughs> parable, okay. but...
0: Well, something something else that, you're, you know, the Noodle Kugel thing made me think about too is like this all kind of relates to a grander subject, which we should probably talk about, which is this idea of like authenticity and especially when it comes to food. And it's something that comes up a lot around food from Asian cultures and in general in new york and in america when and especially in the past like decade probably there's like this constant hunt for like what's like the most authentic chinese food or what's the most authentic jian food or whatever like now now we're getting into like sub-regional specialties but new yorkers are always like determined to find like this authentic whatever the most authentic version is But, you know, authenticity in and of itself is kind of a questionable thing. And you see people like waiting outside online for like Joe Shanghai or whatever to get the authentic soup dumplings of New York. But authentic Shanghainese soup dumplings. But those soup dumplings, there's no way that those could exist without New York. You know, it's not like they're like... This exact same thing that are in shanghai or whatever it's just it's even the ones in shanghai and, and taiwan like Din Tai feng are like you know the product of many years of of cultural uh amalgamation and infusion to a lot of different places so this idea that as uh, foodies we're always searching for like the most true and authentic version of something is in some ways bullshit but it's like it's something that you know everyone's still like so passionate about and still has so many strong opinions about and i'm not sure exactly why that is
1: i think you should just seek what's good not what's authentic like you know that's a that's a pretty good guideline it's like you don't have to you don't have to turn it into like some kind of weird cultural judgment thing it's basically just like (laughs) you know it's cool that New York is a place where there's restaurants from all different areas, and once you realize that, like, there's different types of food from all these other places, and you can eat in New York, uh, especially is in such an awesome place because you can go and you know get local, get regional cuisine from a bunch of different countries that is hard to get um, elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I mean we've talked about pock 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 before, and that's like his restaurant Andy Ricker who is you know a white dude from Portland creating like this what some people call like a very authentic version of of northern Thai cuisine you know and his his name often comes up when you talk about authenticity these days because there's a lot of people who just outright question it just because he's a white dude you know but it's like what does that even mean? Like, is it authentic because it's true to some version that someone is creating now in Thailand? Is it just because it's a copy? But he know he admits and and will readily admit. I think that he's always adding his own ideas and you know um, interpretations to these things. So I don't know. Is it just because it's so flavorful and so different from what people normally think of as you know American Thai food that it that it gets that it's so um, sought after, I guess. And people want to sometimes equate authentic with tasting good, I think is the bottom line, you know, Um, as you're saying, like people, people want, you should seek out things that taste good. But often those two things are sometimes like people just see them as meaning the same thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, he went to Thailand and studied there and learned the techniques in order to prepare the food well, and that's cool. But it's also funny to think about the idea of authentic, like you'll see that he will, make dishes, Thai dishes, but with ingredients from like the Pacific Northwest at his restaurant in Portland, right? Because that's what you would do. That's like how, you know, they're looking for ultra fresh ingredients that have certain properties. And he, you know, he can have access to some greens and not others. And so he'll substitute other ingredients uh, for the food. And I think that's what makes it so good is that it's not trying to recreate anything except for like flavor. It has, I mean, there is some kind of doc, there is some documentary aspect to the work that he does. Like, you know, you'll see in his menu descriptions that it'll be like, oh, I learned about this dish at this place. This dish comes from this place, that kind of, it's cool because it's like, trying to do something that people will enjoy. I've had a lot of awesome experiences basically just trying to eat as many different kinds of food as I possibly could. So uh that's really like I encourage people to do that. And it's sometimes hard because maybe where you live there isn't anything there isn't anything like around you that has that. But it's a cool thing to do when you go to a new city is to see what see what kind of foods from other places are around and see uh if there's some concentration of people from one other spot in the world and they have a bunch of restaurants there. It's really fun to like go do a restaurant, crawl through a neighborhood like that as like
0: a yeah there's definitely like in new york there's like a it's documented a little bit in the general taz movie too but in the 70s and 80s basically like there was a after years of kind of new york chinese food mainly meaning like cantonese food and Cantonese influenced food what we now think of as like American Chinese food all of a sudden this influx of people from Hunan and Sichuan province and other parts of China just flooded into New York and the food changed it changed like New York Chinese food dramatically but also like I think a lot of people at that point were like, "Oh, now this is the authentic Chinese food, or this is the new the new flavor, and we're hunting that." And then in the '80s and '90s, then you know, Flushing and all of these kind of smaller, even um, lesser known ethnic minorities in China like came into New York, and you have like the Xi'an famous foods and stuff like that, and the whole Flushing Mall scene, which is like a whole different different world, basically. Same thing with. Uh, LA has like a very similar thing too but I'm probably even bigger and more more active these days than New York but yeah it's 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 pretty amazing what like how how deep you can go into the into the regional st- specificities just without even leaving the city these days um there's definitely some amazing restaurants uh that are worth checking out
1: yeah um we should uh i we should shout out the uh beyond the great wall cookbook for sure which i know you're which i know you're a fan of but um that cookbook is that cookbook is amazing and is a collection of recipes uh from various regions in china uh including uh Um, You know, regions where there's a concentration of Muslim, Chinese uh, people who don't eat pork and so there's a lot of lamb and um, regions where there is rice and there isn't rice and, you know, all of these different kinds of amazing, highly kind of concentrated pockets of food that um, doesn't really leave the region very much. And these authors did an awesome job kind of collecting that Uh, and putting it in a book where and that's really one of these books where you know you don't even know what the food is going to some of the food is going to taste like before you cook it i mean you can read the (laughs) ingredients and so especially if you're not like experienced cooking that kind of stuff and you don't know what the impact of like this or that many peppercorns of this or that variety will have on your on your dish like Uh, That's a really fun book to cook from because it's really, really, really surprising. I guarantee you there's stuff in there that you've never tried before unless, you know, you're already familiar with that stuff, which I wasn't.
0: It's also filled with like amazing stories and, you know, they're just amazing writers and photographers. So like the whole cookbook is filled with like you know just these awesome stories of like falling off a motorcycle in tibet or something like that i forget the (laughs) exact story but like it's like all this crazy travel journal stuff that just is super fun definitely one of my most all three of their like large documentation about uh china and uh vietnam and laos and india are like my like most well-used cookbooks in my collection are definitely some of the most stained cookbooks in my collection because there's there there's so many amazing recipes and things to look through in there
1: i love that book
0: yeah that and probably the eating and flushing and in just experiencing food from like other regions around asia that i like was not familiar with before is one of the things that made me realize it's like china in and of itself not even counting like Uh, Thailand and Laos and a bunch of the other Bordering countries (laughs) Massive obviously And has a lot of different people But we, American Chinese food is Pretty much derived from like a very small Subset of all the regions in In China, so it's interesting that you know, for my entire a lot of my life, I like was it was fine for me to believe that oh, you know, South Carolina and uh, North Carolina and Kansas City could all have completely different styles of barbecue, but Chinese food was all this one gigantic (laughs) thing, you know, like that was all pretty much the same. Uh, Because I think that's how a lot. I mean, I. I was under that impression as a child and i'm sure a lot of people around the world are kind of under that impression that chinese food means like a specific thing but you know reading that book reading the uh beyond the great wall and also like just eating the food showed me yeah of course like in western china there's not a lot of rice growing so they cook a lot of bread grain there's like a different grain and they're actually you know on the russian border so there's a lot of russian influence there and kazaki influence and there's you know the food of mongolia is completely different and the food of southern southwestern china is completely different where it's like on the border of thailand so there's completely different herbs and spices that they use and the regions on the spice road and everything you know like have completely different flavor profiles and stuff like that and so obviously as the stupid american it was very easy i I was fooled into believing that you know there are only a couple varieties of 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 what we what was accessible to us
1: yeah i mean and you do great you pay great homage to the and you humanize the whole uh experience when you uh focus on the actual people that are living in the actual places and try to learn about that um and that's really i think that's really interesting and cookbooks are cookbooks have a great way of conveying all of that um without you having to like you know go Somewhere and uh, you know, kind of try to experience that for, for yourself. You can really experience a lot through other people's eyes, and that's why that, that's why those cookbooks, um, all of the all of the cookbooks by those two authors are have been so impactful to me because they really communicate. There's something about writing and photography and the and then the recipes and then you cook the recipe and then you eat it. You know, that's very powerful, you know, and that's the thing that motivates, you know, that's the thing that motivates me to like want to work on this cookbook with you is that if we can take the experience of like, you know, preparing the dough and aging the dough and making the pizza and having people over and making some nice salad that goes with it and choosing some nice drinks to go with it and serving it to your company and getting that great feedback when it's so delicious, that's like being able to communicate that is something that I think uh, will be challenging, but that's really what I'm going for, to like package that up and try to give people like a a piece of that.
0: Yeah, I would also, while we're on the topic, just wanna shout out, fuchsia dunlop and her work on her cookbooks too i i hope someday we can get her on the show that would be amazing um but she's an amazing she's a british uh cookbook author but she lived in china for a long time and and actually studied i think she was the first non-chinese woman to study at the sichuanese The most famous Sichuanese cooking school in china and she like took all that knowledge and turned it into this amazing cookbook called the land of plenty which is mainly a Sichuanese cookbook but has like a lot of different interesting other interpretations and recipes and i learned more about cooking uh Sichuanese food and like wok cooking and all that stuff in general and how to eat it and appreciate it too from then from any other book that i've ever read and she's just an amazing also has a talent of like telling stories and bringing you pulling you into like this is the interpretation of this recipe because i ate it with this guy in this village and it was you know it was a moment that i've always you know wish i could share with all all these people and so i've packaged it into this recipe as you're saying and just the just the amount of history and thought that went into the food that is prepared there and like the techniques and methodologies around food that are very different from what we think of when we think of, you know, American food or even American Chinese food. It's it's not just like, oh, you take a bunch of vegetables and you take a bunch of meat and you throw them in a wok and fry them. There's like all the balance of flavor and combinations of ingredients. There is like so much thought and history that goes into each each thing there and it's that that i find super fascinating too
1: all right well thanks for joining us for for this week we will be back soon with some more guests more news about our our pursuits so thanks so much for all of your feedback and for for listening and we look forward to hearing from more of you
0: yeah we love your ideas so keep them coming and all your feedback is super important to us so thank
1: you all right have a good week everyone see you soon peace how I pray to
0: God cause I need them, I need them I need them cocaine will and I'm feeling I'm feeling I'm feeling life way too hard am i dreamin', I'm dreaming I'm dreaming highway to hell and I'm speeding one way to tell if I'm breathing
1: on three let's jump off the roof 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 on three let's jump off
0: the roof